Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The economy of salvation is the economy of the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this economy was planned even before the creation of the world. God, in his foreknowledge, he actually planned everything. In his foreknowledge, he foreknew what will happen to humanity after he creates them. So even before the foundation of the world, the economy of our salvation was planned. I mean God is not reactive. God did not wait until the fall of Adam and Eve, and then he started to think, how can I solve this problem? How I can save the humanity? No. God is timeless. He is before, above time. So everything was planned. And in the Gospel of today, from John chapter 6, the Son revealed to us what is the will of the Father. And there is no actually contradiction between the will of the Father and the will of the Son. Because the will of the Holy Trinity is the same. There is no contradiction between the will of the Father or of the Son or of the Holy Spirit. So, he repeated twice, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. So, The Holy Trinity foreknew that we will fall. That's why the plan that the Son will come into the world in order to redeem us and in order to save us and in order not to lose anyone who believes in the Son. This is the will of the Father that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing. And not only that, but should raise it up at the last day. And he repeated again, and he said, This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the will of the Father is very clear here, that the Son should lose nothing. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have everlasting life, and He will be raised up at the last day. And then He explained to us that even believing in the Son is the work of the Holy Trinity. As he said, 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. So the Holy Spirit moves our heart to believe that Jesus is God. As we read in the scripture, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit makes us believe that Jesus is the Lord. Then the Father draws us up. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So God draw us to the knowledge of the Son. And the Son redeemed us by dying on the cross. He purchased us with his blood and he will raise us up at the last day. And in these three verses, the word raise him up at the last day was actually repeated three times. Raise him up at the last day. To emphasize that our celebration of the resurrection of the Son, it is not just we are happy because the Son died and rose on the third day. It is deeper than this. Our celebration of the resurrection is not like the celebration of Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus rose from the dead. They were happy because after their brother dies, he rose from the dead. But our celebration is totally different. We are not celebrating because we are happy just because Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. It's deeper. In what way? Because his resurrection is our resurrection. As we say in the litany of the gospel, for you are the resurrection of us all. And this was taken from Ephesians chapter 2 when St. Paul said, He raised us up with himself. So, how his resurrection becomes our resurrection? There is at least two important elements to understand how his resurrection became our resurrection. The first element is the incarnation. In order for his resurrection to be our resurrection, that's why God took our humanity, complete humanity, perfect humanity. So when we say the divinity united with the humanity, humanity is body, human body, human soul, and human spirit. So the divinity took human body, human soul, and human spirit. Why? In order to defeat death in this human nature. Also in order to raise this human nature. When death is abolished in this nature, and when he rose from the dead with our human nature, then he gave all of us the ability to be risen. As he defeated death, in his human nature, 
He gave all of us the ability to defeat death in our human nature. And not only that, but also by ascending into heaven with our human nature. He gave all of us the access into the heavens. That's why St. Paul explained, he raised us with himself and he seated us with himself in the heavenly places. Now, the heavenly places, no human nature can enter it. But since the Son of God entered into the heavenly places with our humanity, he gave access to all of us to the heavenly places. And we can have place in heaven in him. That's one element. But the other element, in order his resurrection to be our resurrection, that we should be united together with him. So the first element, he took our human nature, and in this human nature, he defeated sin, he purified this human nature from corruption, he abolished the power of death, he was risen with our human nature, and he ascended up to heaven with our human nature. So now all of this can be done in us. But how to be done in us, that is the second element. We need to be united with him, to be one with him. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ described him as the bridegroom, and we are the bride. Because in marriage, the two shall become one. And if he is the bridegroom and we are his bride, then the two shall become one. And the two shall become one happens in the sacraments of the church. In baptism, you put on Christ, as St. Paul said. In chrismation, we become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And by the way, not only the Holy Spirit dwells in us, but the Holy Trinity. In the Gospel of John, the Lord said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, the Father loves him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling in him. So, he who has the commandment of God, and keeps the commandment of God. The Father loves him. And the Father and the Son will come to him and make this person a dwelling place for the Father and the Son. And we just said, you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abide in you. So we are a dwelling place for the Holy Trinity. We are one with God. And then in the Eucharist, in communion, Eucharist means uh, thanksgiving. Because when we reflect on all what God has done for us, 
we will be giving thanks to him. And our attitude all the time should be attitude of gratefulness. That's why we call it Eucharist, Eucharistia. So the Son gave us his body and his blood in order to eat from his body and drink from his blood so that we abide in him and he abides in us. All what he did to humanity in his body now will be ours when we are united with him in communion. He abolished sin in our humanity. So when we are united with him in communion, our sins will be forgiven. He saved us from the corruption. So when we are united with him in communion, we are saved from corruption. He defeated death in our humanity. So when we are united with him in communion, then we are defeating death and we are alive. That's why in the confession at the end of the liturgy, Abuna says, given for us for salvation, remission of sins, and eternal life. Salvation from corruption, remission of sins, because sin is abolished and defeated, and eternal life because death is abolished. And God prepared the mind of the people to the idea of the Eucharist from the Old Testament. Not only through the sacrifices and not only through the Passover lamb, but the people in the wilderness, they were hungry. They they lived in the wilderness 40 years. How they can survive? So God actually said to Moses, I will send you bread from heaven. And this bread, actually, they called him manna. And during the 40 years, they ate from this bread that descended from heaven. And they survived the 40 years in the wilderness. Can God actually send them bread other way? Definitely he can. God actually, who brought water out of the rock, was able to give them bread any other way. But why God allowed this manna to drop from heaven to prepare them to the idea of bread of life coming from heaven? Then in John chapter 6, as we heard in the Gospels of today, The Lord told them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So God told them, as your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they were able to survive these 40 years, and as God sent them the manna that dropped, on them from heaven in the same way I am the bread who came from heaven if you eat my body and you drink my blood 
you will survive the wilderness of the world and I will raise you up at the last day and you will have eternal life abiding in you and in John chapter 6 the Lord actually explained in a very powerful way that what we eat is his body and his blood even St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 he said I deliver to you what I have received from the Lord himself and he spoke about communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 but listen to what the Lord actually told them he told them the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world then the Jews quarreled among themselves saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat but listen how the Lord responded to them he told them most assuredly I say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. He who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. Yes, they survived in the wilderness, but at the end all of them died. But he he who eats this bread will live forever. Will live forever. So the Lord explained very clearly that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And I'm sure the disciples did not understand again how we can eat his flesh and drink his blood. Until on Thursday, one day before his crucifixion, he took bread and he gave thanks, blessed it, sanctified it. He broke it and said to them, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, blessed it, sanctified it and give it to them and he told them take drink this is my blood so the disciples now they understood that God can change this bread into his body and this wine into his blood in this way when we drink from the blood and eat from the body we will abide in him and will have eternal life. And the church actually practiced Eucharist from the first century, from the time of the apostles. In the book of Acts, you will find two different words. One word is breaking the bread. And breaking the bread, when you read it in the book of Acts, means that Eucharist, communion. But you will find another word 
they were eating food. Eating food, it is just the regular food. So you need to differentiate in the book of Acts between these two terms. Just eating or speaking about a breaking bread. Eating is like the agape meal that we eat it together. As we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking the bread and in prayer. Breaking the bread here means Eucharist. So breaking the bread here means Eucharist. In the same chapter, verse 46, he says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So in this verse, there are two words, breaking bread and eating food. Breaking bread is a Eucharist, and eating food is like the agape meal. So the church actually celebrated the Eucharist from the first century. And today in the Ibraxis from Acts chapter 20, you heard about how St. Paul was preaching and a man slept during the sermon of St. Paul and he fell from the third story and he died. But St. Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. And now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eat. Broken bread, communion. So here the church chose this part from Acts chapter 20 in order to make a very strong link between raising this man from death and breaking the bread, which is Eucharist. So as this man rose, or St. Paul raised him from death during the time of communion, in the same way, all of us who partake of his body and drink from his blood, we will be raised in the last day. So that's the resurrection, and how his resurrection became our resurrection, and how we can receive the power of resurrection in our life. There is no separation between resurrection and communion. That's why the Lord said, for every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you will confess my death, proclaim my resurrection. So every time we eat of his body, we confess his resurrection, because now the resurrection is working in me. It is not just a dogma I I believe in it in my mind, but it is a life that I live in myself. Through partaking of his body and drinking his blood, give us the power of resurrection in our life. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart and we pray that it will not only inform you but will also transform you and your life with Christ.